Hey, and welcome to the 12 Stone Church Podcast. Thank you so much for taking time to be a part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message. And so welcome to day one of one at 12 Stone. And if this was, if this was anything else, it'd be awkward. We're all dressed the same across the campuses today. So well done. Y'all look good. I feel like we're like a Georgia game when they say it's a white outside or a black out, red out, whatever. Like this looks right. And I'm glad that you're here. And this, this week has been a, a roller coaster in a really beautiful way. But I just want to read probably my favorite text that I got this week. It's from a friend I've known here at 12 Stone for over a decade. And here's what he said, because this was an answer to prayer for the last six months. He said, hey, good morning, Jason. Pray for you this morning. Commit to do so for the next 100 days. And he said this, I also thought about this transition and the shift of responsibility, but I also felt it shift in me. Men have followed PK for years, and they grew together and made a great impact for God. Now people will have the opportunity to do the same. I want to be part of that, however God chooses to use me onward. See, this, this succession is not about two people. It's about God doing that, that God would that help you feel the shift in you too. Because this church was never about a person. This church was always about Jesus. And this church will always be about the next person finding Jesus. And in great part, hundreds of you last weekend said, listen, I felt the shift. I feel the ownership of this place. And hundreds of you gave in the next gen offering. And I get to tell you today that we, we, we've officially completed phase one. That we're about 1.2 million of the 3 million y'all have already given. Isn't that awesome? Praise God. Which means I was able to officially reach out and tell our CFO, I'm greenlighting the first two or three campuses in their children's space. You'll begin to see K-12 change across those. And, and listen, just this week, we had over 1,000 students on Wednesday night. We've had over 75 baptisms just since camp. God is doing something in the next generation, and we celebrate what he's doing today. And I know that many of you are still in that process going, all right, God, I'm going to ask what should I give? And you just say yes. And as you do that, maybe you want to hop online to the website. Or right now, you can text NEXTGEN to 37748 and continue inside of this NEXTGEN offering. Because again, phase one's done. We got two more phases to go for us to create a church where our kids go, this place is mine, not just my parents. Amen? Amen. So today, we start a sort of a brand new series together. And if you look down at your shirt, if you're wearing it, it's called Everybody Can. And this series is going to sit inside of the book of Romans, which, by the way, the book of Romans is fire. It's my favorite book. And I was just talking, we were praying backstage, and, and we literally said if like every other book in the Bible was lost to history, the book of Romans would have enough for life and godliness and holiness and salvation. Like the book of Romans is unbelievable. I could spend the next 10 years just in the book of Romans, and it wouldn't be enough. But the, the crux of, of sort of where we're, we're starting today is Romans 1.16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God. Somebody say power. It's the power of God. The, the power comes from the gospel, which is the good news of Jesus. It is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. That's why this series is called Everybody, because Everybody who believes on Jesus can find salvation, and not, you're not just saved from something. 
You're saved to something. You're not, you're not saved and, and put into a religious structure. You're saved to, to God himself. Here's how we say it here at 12 Stone. We believe that everybody can know God and everybody can find freedom and everybody can discover purpose and everybody can make a, a difference. And my prayer in the month of August is that you would begin to see those statements not as a system that we run as a church. Listen, but as an invitation from Almighty God. Because this is not a strategic plan, a vision, or a system to run. It's an invitation from God to, to live a life full of meaning and purpose and significance. Everything else in the world tells you, just put your 30, 40 years into work, get enough money to retire. Maybe you can afford the boat. Maybe you can redo your wife's kitchen for her and she'll be happy. Maybe you'll be able to pay for some of your kids' education. Like, that's the goal. And yet God's like, there's more to life than, than just getting through and getting to retirement. There is meaning and purpose and significance. And if you're honest, there's a longing in your soul for that kind of life. And it all starts with God. In fact, when I close my eyes and I think of that life, I think about, I think about myself at 70, 80 years old. Still walking with God, but freed up from my past, not still living in the mess of my past. Looking around at life and going, I know why God put me here. And I can look back at my life and see the relationships that God let me impact. See, when I think of myself as 70 or 80, I, I think of a life that ends with one marriage for 60 plus years. And I, I think of my life as, as raising three kids that still want to hang out with me once they don't have to live with me. I think of my life and think of a career that brought fulfillment and meaning. I think of myself at 70, my face wrinkly, my hair white, still looking like a silver fox, but still look in the mirror. That was a laugh with me, right? Not at me? With me? Okay. But, but, but I see myself looking in the mirror in the morning and going, I can actually be proud of the person I see in that mirror, which is a big thing. See, when my life is over, the thing I really want to hear is, well done, my good and faithful servant. And, and God wants to give us a life of great fulfillment and meaning and purpose. And this month, we're going to be walking through that together. And I, I, want, to, I want to give us a picture for what I think is the true longing in the soul of every person. A longing for the life of meaning, purpose, significance. So I want to take you back. Maybe you've heard this from me before, but I was raised in upstate New York. And when I say that, those of you from the South are like, you're from New York City? I'm not. Three hours north of the city. Like way up there. And let me tell you this. The winters were horrendous. You'd wake up overnight, two to three foot of snow overnight, and they didn't even delay school. In, the, in Atlanta, where we're from, we'd be shut down for a year and a half. Somehow, it, we'd be out of school in July with the snow. But here's what's awesome. The summers, I can't explain the summers to you. Because it gets, in July and August, it get up to 85 in the day, but no humidity and no mosquitoes. Hallelujah. And then when the sun went down, the temperature would drop into the mid-60s. It's Beautiful. And so you could sit around all day in the lake and, and, and play and have fun on the water. And then at night, you put a sweatshirt on and sit by a campfire. And the amount of nights I spent on the lake where I was from up there, Lake George, 
on my friend's dock from his, his grandfather had a cabin on the lake and we'd go lay on the dock and look up at the sky. It was like nothing I can describe. If y'all are in Atlanta where, where our campuses are located, there is so much ambient light. Y'all are seeing like seven stars. There's, let me give you a hint. There's billions of them. It's unbelievable. In fact, let me do something different. I want to set the tone. I want to bring you back to my high school years. Go ahead and dim the lights across the camp. I want, I want to give you a little, little vibe. I want you to experience it like I experienced it. Come on now. I would look up into the night sky, and that's the Milky Way you can see. And I would lay there and look up, and it was beautiful and awe-inspiring and overwhelming. It's no wonder that we've been fascinated with the stars since the beginning of time. When you look up at the heavens, doesn't it simultaneously make you feel small? And then also you're a part of something way bigger. For me, when I look at the stars, it stirs something in my soul. Like for me, it, it, it drives me to worship. It points me to the one who hung the stars. As you look at this, it's no wonder that for generation after generation, thousands of years ago, in their search for meaning and purpose and significance, people would actually worship the stars. They actually made gods out of the constellations, and they would build their religious structures. Even the pyramids, they'd build them to line up with heavenly bodies, the stars, the moons, planets. It's no wonder, as you see the time lapse of everything sort of rotating around us, that for thousands of years, people believed that the entire universe revolved around the earth. That is until Copernicus 1543 said, hey, just so you know, everything doesn't revolve around us. We're revolving around the sun. And in our search for meaning and purpose, we long for something up there to bring meaning to us down here. The vastness of space points us towards this God-given desire that there has to be more to life than this. There has to be a meaning greater than just 78 years on earth, and then it all ends, and that's it. Before you fall asleep, let's slowly bring the lights back up. See, what the stars do to me is they point me to this belief that there's got to be more. For thousands of years, people would worship the stars, literally would name constellations and make them gods. And they looked for something up there to bring meaning and purpose to them down here, which I believe is a, is a good pursuit, meaning and purpose. And back then they looked to the stars. Today we got a little more clever with it. We look to our careers sometimes. Something out there to bring meaning and purpose to our life. And you can spend your whole life and build an incredible career and wake up and go, it's still hollow. Listen, you, some of us look to stuff. If I could just get the next thing, it would bring the, the meaning and purpose in here. We look to relationships. Some of y'all are dating, looking to fix something broken in here. And I'm telling you, that never fixes it. It only exposes it. We look to our, our families even sometimes. We look to popularity. We look to power or control. We look to self-expression. 
your felt identity, being true to your inner voice. Like that's how I'll live a life of meaning and purpose. Some of us have done this pursuit towards like spiritualism, crystals or, or meditation. And, and, and we look in all these places out there to bring meaning and purpose and significance in here. And it's a, it's a core human desire to want those things. But listen, here's my premise. Your search for meaning, purpose, and significance is actually a search for God. Whether you know it or not, God, God put, he wrote eternity on the hearts of everybody. And so that longing in you is actually a longing for your creator. And our prayer for this series, my prayer for you is that God would either reveal himself to you for the first time. Or for those who walk with Jesus already, that God would reveal something new about himself during this series. And like I said, we're in the book of Romans. And, and this is the cool thing that Paul says. Your desire is actually, your search is actually a search for God. And the good news is that, is that God says this, Romans 1, 19 and 20. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. God's, God's saying through this, this verse, listen, he's made himself plainly known to you. If you would just look around, you'll realize there is a God. He's as plain to see as a picture. One of my friends who's just mean sent to me, because if you were here last week, my car got stuck in the, in the golf cart lane. He said, hey, it's marked pretty clearly. You shouldn't have been driving there. I didn't see the sign, but it's apparently clearly marked. Romans is saying, listen, it's as clear to see, it's plain, it's made plain to us. You should, you should see him. Here's the good news. God is not hiding. He can be known. Everybody can know God. Everyone can know the one who hung the stars. See, God is not hiding. His footprints are everywhere. I told you I grew up in upstate New York. And like I said, in the wintertime, man, it was snow. And there's one game that, that is not that fun to play in the winter called hide-and-seek. Can I tell you why? This is how the game would go. I'd turn my back, count to 10. My brother would run off and hide, and I'd be like, ready or not, here I literally follow your footsteps, and you're right behind the tree. Like, you can't hide in the snow because I... I can just follow your footsteps to where you're hiding. And many of us, like it feels like if there is a God, he's hiding from us. And I'm telling you, if you feel like that, it's not that he's hiding. It's that you've not just given an honest look to his footprints. Like he's left them in the stars. He's left them on your, your heart. In fact, I want to I give you four footprints that point to God's existence. And you might be a, a, a skeptic or a seeker, or you might be here going, I've looked for meaning or significance everywhere else. I'll give this Jesus thing a try. I want to I walk through four simple footprints that sort of point us to the existence of God. And the first is a, is a cosmological footprint. Paul said that, that God has been, he's made himself plainly known, plain to them to see. The cosmological footprint says something can't come from nothing. Like, I don't want to burst your bubble. If you like magicians and they make something appear in their hand, it actually was up their sleeve, right? Like, something didn't come from nothing. The fact that someone who 
Like the fact that we're here means that someone was here before us. The fact that we exist means there has to be something that is eternal. And just the fact that creation exists means, man, if you'd follow those footsteps, it might lead you to God. The second is the teleological footprint. I know these are big words. Teleological. And, and, and what that is, is, is it, it means that creation looks like it was designed. Like when you look around from the way that a tree root system works to the way that solar systems work to the way that your human body works, it doesn't take like a scientist to look and go, that was on purpose. Whether through a telescope or a microscope, design is visible everywhere. Like if the earth was 1% further or closer from the sun, we'd freeze or burn up. If a neutron was 1% bigger than a proton, humanity would not exist. There's this thought that like, this all looks like it was put together in a design, the moral footprint, that there's like this, uni this universal moral compass. We're like, we all just sort of agree that there's some things that almost overarch every culture that they're just wrong or right. Like murder in every culture, for the most part, it's like we just know that we know. I don't need to read the Bible to sort of go, yeah, I'd probably be wrong to kill somebody. Like it's, it's probably wrong to walk up to an old lady and knock her out cold, right? Like if I did that, you'd all be like, that's wrong. It's a unique or a universal moral compass. We all sort of agree. And the last footprint is this desire footprint that the desires in us correlate with a reality. See, the fact that when you get thirsty, we have water. The desire correlates to something real. When you get hungry, we have cheese pizzas and cheeseburgers. Praise God. Like when you're hungry, there's a real thing. When you're lonely, there's people to have friendships with. We desire beauty and love and laughter. These desires all correlate to something real. And we desire more than just the material world. Here's how C.S. Lewis speaks to this desire footprint. I love this quote. If I find myself in a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If nothing you can find or buy or build or create on this earth can satisfy, then maybe, maybe you and I were created not just for this world. See, there's footprints that point us back that God can be known He's real and can be known, like Paul said, verse 20, so that we are without excuse. God said, I left enough footprints that if you go back in the house and say, I counted the 10 and couldn't find you, you're without excuse. I want to be honest for a second. One of the things I love about our church, I like to think of us as a safe place for people to wrestle down their faith. Like, I hope when you showed up, you didn't feel judged. Like, maybe you're not a follower of Jesus. You don't even believe this stuff yet. And you're here going, God, if you're real, I, I want to figure this thing out. I love to think of this place as a safe place for you to wrestle. And I've been praying specifically for this series. As we have moments where we, we talk about things like those four footprints where it's like, maybe if you look out there, you'll see the footprints that God is real. If God stirs or softens or speaks something new in you, or God maybe answers a question you've been wrestling with for a long time, I, I, we would love to actually get coffee with you. In fact, everybody grab the cards in the seat in front of them. You can put them back in a minute. 
We don't talk about this a ton, but these cards are an easy way for you to communicate with us. And you might decide today, you might check the box. I'm interested in talking with a pastor. And what that does for us is it allows us to reach out and get coffee because conversations like this, what you need is not a big prayer on the screen. What you need is a cup of coffee and a conversation, right? There's questions you might not get answered and you want to sit down. We would love to create space for that to happen. So feel free to do that. You can leave those on your seat at the end of service and your, your pastors will tell you what to do with that. But our prayer is that you would realize God wants to be known and you can know him. Not just know him intellectually, but know him relationally. And that is God's desire for you. Even the stars point back as a footprint back to God, which brings us back to our space illustration. Copernicus, man. 1543. I was even before Kevin was born, a long time ago. And he was the first person to say, listen, guys, everything doesn't revolve around us. I know why you'd think that. Remember the time lapse. It looks like we're in the center and everything's revolving around us. But he's like, guys, it doesn't actually revolve around us. And people didn't like hearing that. In fact, the church banned people from looking at his research because they didn't like it so much. It wasn't for another 150 years until it was sort of accepted science that the earth revolves around the sun and then eventually the sun revolves around other things. And, and people in 1543 did not want to hear it. Why? Because no one likes to hear that the universe does not revolve around you. Parents, how many times have you said some version of that to your kid? I'm hungry. The world doesn't revolve around you, bro. Hey, this is not what I want to do. Uh, the universe doesn't revolve around you. And we laugh when we say it to our kids, but can we be honest? We all sort of want it to be about us, don't we? We love the thought that everything revolves around us. And Paul is about to walk through the next 10, 12 verses and say, listen, even though it was settled in 1543, the world doesn't revolve around you. The universe doesn't revolve around you. We have this propensity to make it revolve around us or want it to revolve around us. And, and here's the reality. If God exists, if all those footprints point us that there is a God, then listen, he has to be the center. If all of that is true, if there is a God, he has to be the center. And look at Romans 1.21. For although they knew God intellectually, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. He's talking to the people in the city of Rome. And, he's, and, and back then they gave God this intellectual sort of nod or tip of the cap. But they didn't put God in the center. What is religion? When you tip the cap to God being out there and he's not the center of your life. That's why religion is hollow and empty. It's why, it's why it doesn't actually give you a life of meaning and purpose and significance. We want to put ourselves at the center. In fact, you might want to write this down because this is clever. The simple definition of sin is when, when we put I in the center. Like you want to, like a basic definition, what is sin? S-I-N is when you put I in the center. When you plant your feet and say, everything needs to revolve around me. What do I want? What makes me happy? What makes me glad? What gives me joy? And the reality of the rest of Romans chapter 1. You might have read this, 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 this chapter a hundred times. You might not have seen this. 
what Paul's about to graphically lay out for us is what happens when a culture, a people, or a person remove God from the center and put themselves in his place. And as we read it, you're going to see, it's going to feel like if earth said, hey, son, thanks for the heat. Thanks for the sweet tan. We're good. We're going to be the center. What would happen is our solar system would spin out of control. And I want to read directly from scripture what Paul says, because Paul's about to walk us through the path very practically of what's happening in Rome. As the people remove God from the, the sun, the center of the solar system and put themselves there. And, and here's the reality. The great lie, if the, if the definition of sin is we put on the center, the great lie of sin is that you can build a life of purpose, meaning, and significance by putting yourself at the center. That's what sin tells you. Put you in the middle, make everything bow to you, and you'll build an awesome life. And Paul's about to tell us, nah. Let me give an aside. If you're a follower of Jesus in our culture today, you might feel a lot like Copernicus did in 1543. Hey, guys, the sun doesn't revolve around us. And everybody else told him you're wrong. And he would have had to ask himself the question, am I crazy? I've had this conversation more than five or six times with people who are followers of Jesus. And they look at the world and they look at our culture and they go, maybe I'm the one that's crazy. The stuff that our culture celebrates, the stuff that gets put on television and movies, even some of the stuff that's taught in school, we're like, am I the crazy one? Like maybe everything does revolve around us. And Paul's about to tell you, ah, you're not crazy. Let, let, let me show you, Paul actually describes what's happening in our world right now as we remove God from the center. So it starts with this. People remove God from the center, verse 21. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their worship and their, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. And look, they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings, birds, animals, and reptiles. See, they removed the image of God at the center, and they put themselves in the center. And here's what's scary. When people remove the image of God, they lose the order of God. When God's not the center, you lose the created, designed order he created the earth to exist in. And it continues to devolve and spin out of control. Verse 24, therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity. What does it mean when God gave them over? It means God said, if that's what you want, I'm letting you go. And they couldn't even see it as wrong anymore. That's what's terrifying. They couldn't see that they had lost God's order. Gave them over in their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And worshipped and served created things 
rather than the creator. When you remove God from the center, there's no God left to worship but yourself. So you trade the image of God and you lose the order of God. So because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. When you remove the image of God, you lose the order, the design-created way God ordered the earth to work. And you find yourself spinning out of control. And then here's what's left. Without the order of God, all that remains is chaos, confusion, brokenness. I want you to see this. Paul continues. Tell me you don't feel this right now. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God. So again, God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent. It's getting worse. Arrogant and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. Come on, somebody. They have no understanding and no fidelity, no love and no mercy. You see, there is a path that is always followed when you remove God, to move the image of God, you then lose the order of God. And when you lose the order of God, you devolve into chaos and confusion and brokenness. And Paul's heart in, in writing this and preaching this is not to scream at people. It's to say, listen, this is what happens when you replace God at the center of a culture, people, or a person. See, sin promises that this life's going to be awesome if you just put yourself at the center. But then the gravity of sin causes you to spin out. See, when you remove God from the center, the only thing that's left is chaos, confusion, and brokenness. Is there any wonder why our world is so confusing and chaotic right now? Is there any wonder why the next generation is lost on who they are and their identity? Because it's upside down. There's no order. Any wonder why anxiety and worry and fear and depression's on the rise? Because without God's image and order, people spin out into the chaos of space, if you will. We lost the gravity that God has to hold it all together. Now, listen, before you get too prideful, if you're a follower of Jesus, it's easy to say, well, that's, that's an out there, them people thing. Ah, it's actually an in here, me thing. Because it's not just when a culture removes God from the center. When I remove God from the center of anything, it spins into chaos and confusion and brokenness. In fact, J.D. Greer says it this way. The root disease of all brokenness in us and the world is that we have put something or someone other than God at the center of our universe. If the sun suddenly disappeared from the center of our solar system, we would spin out into space, chaos. In the same way, when you remove God from the center, any part of your life, spin into chaos. 
See, I can't give you seven steps to fix what's broken. I can just give you one. God has to be the center. And I believe God wants to do a Copernicus-like revolution in our souls. Listen, it doesn't revolve around you. You're not the center. You don't have your truth. You don't have your effort to fix it. It has to be God is the center because the nature of the kingdom is that this, if you put yourself in the center of your marriage, you're going to end with chaos, confusion, and brokenness. That divorce you had 10 years ago, go back. Somewhere you slid yourself in the center and God won the center of that marriage. Friendships fall apart when you make yourself the center. Companies fall apart when employees or bosses make it about them and they're at the center. Families, the future of our kids fall apart when we put ourselves at the center of it all. Cultures and communities fall apart when people put themselves at the center. Your soul falls apart when you put yourself at the center. When everything around you has to bow to you as the center, everything falls apart. And once God's removed from the center, nothing else has enough gravity to hold everything together. Because if you're the center, you have to have the sun's gravity to hold our solar system in place. Good luck with that. Now I'm responsible to hold my family together. Now I'm responsible to hold my company together. Now I'm responsible to hold my character together. We lost the center. We lost the gravity. It's all on me. And then there's a turn. Paul says this in Colossians 1. It's beautiful. The son, which is Jesus, S-O-N, by the way, I'm talking a lot about space, not S-U, S-O-N. The son, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers, or rulers, or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things. And, and, and look at this. And in him, all things hold together. See, the good news of the gospel is that Jesus is what holds things together. I don't have the gravity to hold it all together. Only Jesus does. Which is why we talk about that, listen, God is not hiding is knowable through what Jesus did on the cross you can know God you're not being asked to follow a religion sign a card about a religion you're being invited into a relationship with almighty God and who's that for Romans 1 16 tells us the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes for everybody look at your shirt it's for everybody but you'll never know God if he's a moon that rotates out there around you or if you have to be the center. See, God doesn't, doesn't take silver medals. He doesn't take second place. He's either the sun in the middle of it all or he's nothing. See, that's why we talk about everyone can know God and find freedom, discover purpose, because the path to a life of meaning and purpose and significance starts by knowing God. So I want to talk to two groups, and then I'm going to hand it to our pastors. See, my prayer over the month of August is that God would open our eyes to what he really wants for our lives. 
And what he wants is not you to join a church or a religion. He wants you to know him. When you know him, he can free you from the addictions and the past and the hurt and the stuff. And then he can help you discover your purpose. There's a reason why you're here. And it culminates in a life of meaning and significance and purpose. When you live a life that makes a difference, like it's bigger than you. It's not just about you. It's not just about me. So the two groups, the first is you've never put God at the center of your life. And if you're honest, you've looked, you might not call it this, but it's, this is the lane you've looked. You've looked for meaning, purpose in all kinds of places. People you've dated, books you've read, success in your career, trying to be true to yourself. Like at the end of the day, to myself be true. That'll, that'll give me purpose. And it never satisfies. The new car gets old. The promotion eventually has weight. The boyfriend or girlfriend eventually disappoints you. You suddenly realize that your spouse didn't complete what was broken inside of you, and you looked everywhere. You'll never, kind of say it direct, you'll never find a meaningful, purposeful life apart from knowing God. He has to be the center or everything spins out of control. And if you're honest, you might cover it up well, but inside of you, there's a chaos. Things are out of order. Things affect you, and you're like, feels like everything's falling apart. It's because you were never designed to be at the center, carrying the weight of gravity for holding your life together. You can't do it. And I don't say this as like a rebuke of you. I say this as an invitation because there is one who was made to hold us all together. And he would put it back into order. He would calm the chaos and bring order. And here in a minute, the pastor is going to tell you how you can respond. Maybe it's the card. Maybe it's a conversation. We want you to know that this is a place. Stick with us. You can wrestle this stuff down. You don't have to believe like us to belong here. Hang out. Ask questions. We pray that God will open your eyes to his existence. But once you realize he's real, it has to be the center or it doesn't work. Second group, God used to be at the center. And this is way more of us. God used to be what your life revolved around. How you made decisions. How you built a marriage. How you did finances. God, you get my first and my best. And over the last season, you've drifted. God used to be the loudest voice in shaping how you did your life. If you're honest, God is not the center like he used to be. Maybe not everywhere, but in some part of your life. And whatever your life orbits around is responsible for the path your life takes. You can't help but getting caught in the gravitational pull of whatever is in the center of your life. Let me ask you, is, is God still the center of your finances? Is God still the center of how you're dating single folks? Is he still the voice that tells you how you should live your dating life? Is, is God still the center of your family? Or do we just give him lip service on Sundays? We check the box, we go to church, we do the religious stuff. But is he the center? When your kids ask hard questions or go through hard things, do you go to self-help or do you go to scripture? 
Because if, if you're going to self-help, God's actually not the center of your family, and now you're responsible to carry the weight of holding your family together. Is God the center of your career? Or is the way that you get ahead in life way more like Romans, filled with envy and wickedness and greed and lying and gossip? Does that sound more like how you get ahead in career? Or is God the center? God the center of your values. I tell you my burden for our church. We've got a lot of good people. We know how to look like God's the center. It's really complicated when we leave here. There's a draw to make everything else the center and not God. Because you feel crazy like Copernicus when you do. Students, unbelievably complicated for you, I'm sure. You sit in services like this and say, yes, God, you're the center. And then what that would look like to live out tomorrow at school is like. <sighs> and yet. If God's not the center, the only result is chaos, confusion, and brokenness. Always, always, always. In fact, it's one of the reasons why we do nights like a call to worship this Thursday and Friday. Because sometimes we need unhurried time, unrushed space in the presence of God to reorient what's at the center. And you might not have been planning on being there, but you know today, God, there's some things I need to bring before you and say, I want you to be center of this again. See, wherever you put God at the center, he's responsible to hold it together. You don't have to wait for Friday because we're going to create some space. I know oftentimes we get down and go, all right, let's get out of here. We got to go. We got lunch. We got this. Pause. See, this is the foundational first domino of everywhere we're going. If you don't know God and put him at the center, everything else falls apart. So we're going to give you some space here across the campuses, 12 Stone Home. Just sit in this. And the Holy Spirit might have already brought someplace up where you know God is not the center. Give it back to him. God, I want you to be the center of my marriage again. I want you to be the center of how I parent, the center of my finances, the center of my values and decision making. Bring it to him. If you don't know, ask him. God, in this moment, would you reveal to me any place that I've put myself at the center and as you reorient to God-centered living, he gets to hold things together. So pastors across the campuses and home, will you just set this moment up and lead us in this moment of worship? So here in the room, 12th on home, I want to pray for us. Would you pray with me? Father God, you are the center of everything. You're the center of the universe. You're the Lord and Savior of our lives, God. Even when we don't always recognize it or we don't always live like it or walk like it, God, you are the center. The creator. I pray that your Holy Spirit would search us right now, would know us right now. Would your Holy Spirit reveal more of who you are to us right now. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your presence is transformational. So God, I pray you have your way in us right now as we listen and respond to you. It's in your name. As Jason was saying, there's a couple different people in the room. We want to give you space to respond to what the Lord might be saying to you right now. 
if you've never given your life to Jesus, if you've walked with him for a long time and you need to reevaluate where he is the center, or maybe you need to make him the center for the first time, or maybe you just wanna thank him for being your steady and your constant and faithful to you. We're gonna worship a little bit. You can stand, you can sit, you can take a posture of prayer, praise where you are. We just wanna give you the space to listen to what the Holy Spirit would be saying, to respond to him. I think sometimes it can be really complicated in your head when you're thinking about praying these prayers of surrender, but it's really simple. It's just open hands, open heart, being available to him, letting him step in. So we're gonna worship. We're gonna respond that way. You sing this with me. I hear you
Thank you again for spending time with us today. A special thanks to those of you who generously give through 12 Stone. It is because of you that this ministry is possible. And if you want to learn more about 12 Stone, make sure you follow us on social at 12 Stone Church and check out a location or a watch party near you. And if you enjoyed the podcast, you could subscribe, share it with your friends, hit the share button, or even take a screenshot and throw it in your social stories. And make sure to tag 12 Stone Church. Let it be a blessing to somebody else. Thank you again, and we'll catch you on the next one.